back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. We also realize that any time Reformation happens, it's always messy. And as Reformation starts happening in the Christian Reformed Church, it's going to get messy. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to talk about what's happening in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. We're still thankful for all of you who are faithfully listening each week and faithfully sharing our content. It's helping so much, and these conversations are spreading throughout the Christian Reformed Church, and Reformation is happening, so keep up the good work, and thank you. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's show, which is part one of our conversation with David Fettis. So, Dave, why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your family, and what church you're at. Well, I'm Dave Fettis, and I am uh, married to Wendy. We just had our 35th anniversary a few days ago, and we're the parents of eight kids. Four of them are married. Uh, Four of them are still at home, and we have six grandkids at present. I'm pastor at Family of Faith Church in Mone, Illinois, which is a little bit outside Chicago area, southwest of Chicago. And I'm also provost of Christian Leaders College and Institute. So I work half-time as pastor of Family of Faith and half-time as provost at Christian Leaders College and Institute, where we have students in about 180 uh, countries and we do online ministry training for people in those countries. So those are my two main areas of work. Uh, in addition, of course, to being a husband and father. Yeah, praise God, that's awesome. I uh, I yeah. didn't know about the Christian leaders thing. I want to ask you about that in your church, but let's just start off with the Christian leaders. How did you get involved with that? Well, um, when I was still working at Back to God Ministries for um, the Christian Reformed Church, then. Uh, a friend of mine, Henry Ryinga, got to talking to me about planting a church, and, and then about 20 years ago, we started Family of Faith Church, but we'd been friends, and Henry had been a church planter for quite some time, and he started working with Christian, um, he called it Christian Leaders, and he wanted to uh, plant some churches in our area, but he found that um, planters needed some training, And one thing kind of led to another, and then um, I think around 2006 or 7, he started Christian Leaders Institute with just a handful of students. Um, Meanwhile, I had um, announced in 2005 that I would be leaving back to God. I continued doing radio for them a couple more years until they, you know, decided what they wanted to do from there. But meanwhile, I was enrolled in PhD studies, and then in 2008, I began working uh, with Christian leaders. We had, I think, about 13 students at the time. Um, you know, now we have, you know, over 10,000 students. So, wow. you know, a lot of stuff happened between now and then. But that's kind of how it got going. It was Henry and I were friends. We planted a church together, which is Family of Faith, where I still serve half time. He's full time as president of Christian leaders now. 
but we were friends. We started that. We just saw a need for um, training. We wanted to make free ministry training available to as many people as we could because we we saw that a lot of people's flexibility in ministry and their ability to go into certain areas um, and and the frankly the people in many other parts of the world couldn't afford a lot of um, expensive stuff anyway. So we wanted, you know, it may sound. Um, kind of sacrilegious, but we wanted it to be good training, but also cheap training and not necessarily in that order. No, we wanted it to be both. We wanted it to Amen. be good and free because, uh, you know, in some countries it couldn't even be afforded, but even in ours, you know, if you're up to your eyeballs in debt, you know, if you have education that costs like the education of a doctor or a lawyer, you might never get paid to like a doctor or a lawyer in the ministry, but you need to have a congregation that can pay you enough to make up for that debt and a lot of other things. Whereas if you can go into ministry with zero debt, you know, that would be a lot better situation. So we've found that a lot of students have been able to be helped by that approach where they can keep their debt load low or non-existent. A lot of them can just study a little bit at a time while they continue with their job. And then we have a lot of students, especially overseas, but also in North America, who are already pastors but didn't have a chance to have formal ministry training. And so they want to have a little more um, formal approach to education to help them in their ministry. So that's kind of how, how we got going and um, where we are now. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's a really phenomenal ministry. Um, as I've talked to a lot of missionaries throughout um, throughout the world, really, most of them have said that's one of the biggest needs in, in these other countries is for pastors, the pastors of those countries to be able to receive training and to make it affordable. So that's, um, I'm really glad to hear that, that you're doing that. I, I've heard a little bit about Christian leaders, but um, I'm going to have to dive in more and, and check it out further, because I think that's a that's a pretty phenomenal ministry. So, and then you said yeah, you we, planted, or go ahead. No, yeah, well, um, you know, I already, when I was involved at Back to God Hour as the radio broadcaster for about 16 years for our denomination, then um, we were on about 300 stations in North America, but then we were on quite a number of stations overseas too. And and that also, um, just a hearing from a lot of people and hearing from what they desired uh, a need for more ministry training, you know, was always on my heart. So when I was able to get involved with Christian Leaders Institute, we were soon able to expand it, you know, a long ways beyond North America and, and be able to at least start to meet that need for ministry training in a lot of different parts of the world. Yeah, amen. Yeah, it was pretty neat uh, for my cross-cultural internship through Calvin Seminary. I did that in the Dominican Republic. Oh. and uh, was talked. So I was there for five weeks and talking to a lot of the pastors and hearing the, the history of the Christian reformed church in the Dominican Republic, which mm. um, started because of back to God ministry radio program. Mm. Um, they were listening to, uh, I forget which uh, there was a, a Spanish speaking pastor anyways on I there. It was Juan, I bet it was Juan Boonstra back in the day, probably. You nailed it. That's, that's who it was. Rolling. Yeah. So. They were listening to Juan Boonstra and these little, uh, little rural poor villages and um, the gospel came and they actually sent a, uh, they sent a, a, a letter to the CRC saying, send a missionary to us um, because we, we want you to come and share the gospel with us, which was pretty crazy. But because of CRC bureaucracy, they were like, ah, we couldn't get there for a couple of years. And so 
oh, I forget the guy's name. But anyway, somebody said, this is ridiculous. I'm going. And so he just went down there. And the cool thing was when he got to the Dominican Republic and he got out into this little uh, batay, which is what they're called, the, over the, they had a sign over their church that said Christian Reformed Church of the Dominican Republic before he even got there. But just because they had already connected with uh, the Christian Reformed Church through Back to God Ministries. And so that's how the whole church started in the yeah. Dominican Republic. And then it spread through all these little patés um, out there. So anyway, it's a pretty cool story, a pretty cool ministry yeah. um, there. And so you said too now, um, so you're at Family of Faith Church now, kind of part-time, and you yeah. said you planted that church 20 years ago? Yeah, we're having our 20th anniversary this year. Uh, Henry Ryinga and I worked together. He was working for the Bible League at the time, I was working for Back to God Ministries, and the two of us thought we're at, that maybe together, working as volunteers, we could plant a church in our spare time. And so that was <laughs> what, what we did. And, um, you know, so for a while, then uh, a year or two later, he stopped working at the Bible League, put a little more time into the early phase of Christian leaders, just try that before it was even a training school, just to help plant other churches. And so he served, you know, I would preach half the time, but I was mostly with Back to God Ministries, and Henry would do most of the pastoral work, you know, once he was no longer at the Bible League. Yeah. And then later on, um, you know, then when I stopped working at Back to God, that's when we kind of divvied things up about half and half. Um, and eventually, he went to serve another church, and then later on became full-time as president. Because when you're trying to do stuff for free, and you don't have a potload of money, <laughs> you, you do what you can do. <laughs> So that's, right. that's kind of what we did. And we did have some people, you know, who did support us early on, but we also, um, you know, uh, I would like to, you know, I, I hesitate to say it, but, you know, one of my comforting sayings is from GK Chesterton, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. So, <laughs> you know, I have, if you, you wear a lot of hats, but yeah, I, we wanted to plant that church and we've had, um, you know, the Lord is blessed. It's not a huge church. It's a, but, but we've enjoyed um, the ministry there for 20 years and the Christian leaders thing, you know, to have, it's kind of by vocation. A lot of our students are in the same boat I am where their church that they serve is not their only job. Um, in their case, it might not even pay, be a paying job at all, you know, yeah. and they are just devoting their energy and their extra hours to serving their people, but they have all like a full-time job, just earning a living. So I have it a lot cushier than they do. I have two jobs, um, both of which pay half my income. A lot of our students are bivocational where their income is from something besides their ministry. And you just got to figure out a way. Um, but yeah, we, it's been exciting and, and fun to do uh, both of those, plant that church and um, work with Christian leaders. Yeah. So what, what drew you to planting the church there? Were you already living there? Or was there kind of a strategic reason to plant the church there? Um, we were in the area and, uh, you know, we were living around here because I was working at Back to God in the Chicago area. It was based here at the time and, and Bible League is nearby as well. And so Henry and I were both living in the area and we, we were both involved in homeschooling as well. And we met a growing number of homeschooling families who got excited about the homeschooling dimension, you know, of fathers and parents being more involved in the upbringing of their children and their education. Um, honestly, some of them got a little overboard where they made the family kind of the be all and the end all, and they needed to find out that church mattered again. 
but mm-hmm. some churches aren't very homeschool friendly. You know, they expect all the kids to be in a whole pile of different programs and so on. And a lot of parents who are home educators, you know, don't want the family split up a lot of different ways during the church service. And, you know, just uh, so knowing, knowing a growing number of those kind of families who, um, some were, you know, without a church that they were meaningfully involved in, you know, on their end, they needed to know um, that the church matters, not just the family. Um, mm-hmm. On the church's end, the church maybe needed to understand a little bit better how to interact with people who didn't fit the typical um, school structure of things. So, uh, you know, that was kind of the genesis of it. Not everybody in our church is homeschooled, but, you know, a fair number of them are. And then we have a, a number who aren't um as well but that was kind of how it got started and we got st- we got started in henry's pole barn um you know we had he had a garage a pole barn on his property and so we started uh in the summer just uh reciting bible memory singing some songs together having a meal together then in january of 2001 we had our first service in that pole barn we installed a few um, insulation panels with foil on them and so on. So about midway through the service, you'd start experiencing the showers of blessing because the, the cold insulation panels would get a lot of condensation from the bodies in there. And then it would start raining on us about halfway through the service in January. So we did that for a while. And then a few months later, a, a property um, came available with a building. And so we were able to um, get that fairly early on in our church's life, and and we're still there today. Oh, praise God! Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so have you grown up in the Christian Reformed Church your whole life, Dave, or or did you come to it later on? Or yeah, I I grew up um, in a Christian Reformed family. My grandparents were immigrants from the Netherlands. Um, my grandpa and grandma Fettis were in Alberta, Canada for about 10 years. So there was a little bit of Canadian background, you know, where they were there and they helped start the church in Granham, Alberta. And then they moved to Montana after some tough years, you know, with weather and, you know, tough farming. They moved to Montana where my dad was born in 1930. So, uh, and my mom grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan. So they, they met and married and, um, and I grew up with them and they uh, they helped shape me a lot. We, we would read the Bible every, you know, after every meal, we would read the Bible and pray together. And we were encouraged to have our own personal devotions before bedtime and personal devotions, just to give you one little sense of, of how important it was in our place. It, you know, we had to run, we'd had to get up early and do some farm chores before uh, going to school. So if we were running a little late, we would read Bible first and then have breakfast. And if you saw the bus coming, you grab your breakfast and run for the bus, but you don't have breakfast and skip devotions and go to the bus. You have devotions. And then if there's time, you have a little food or, Amen. or Amen. you run for it. So anyway, whether, whether you think that's great parenting or not, um, uh, family devotions and the reading of the Bible and prayer together mattered a very great deal. And, you know, I went to catechism classes at our church and, um, no disrespect to the pastors or elders who were leading them, but I didn't actually learn very much in the catechism classes because my mom had drilled me so thoroughly before mm. I ever got out of the house <laughs> that there wasn't a whole lot to learn once I got to the class. So, Amen. you know, I grew up with, uh, you know, I was really blessed with um, parents, not only in terms of that kind of Bible reading, but my dad was involved um, in the local Red Cross in in visiting jails and 
the local jail and going to the state prison um, to visit folks. And he was on the Christian Reformed World Relief Committee at the time, now World Renew. He was on their board a number of years. And my mom was very active in, in church life. And they were especially interested in missions and outreach. And so, you know, I would really say that um, growing up, you know, I don't know if you label it as being shaped by the denomination, I was certainly shaped by Christian reformed parents um, mm -hmm. and, and by, and by our church, you know, our churches in, um, in Manhattan, Montana, I grew, that's where I went to Manhattan Christian school and, you know, which was largely Christian reformed folks at that time. Mm -hmm. I think the, the school now has a broader student body, but still a lot of Christian reformed people mm -hmm. in it, mm -hmm. but that's the community that I grew up in. Those were the kind of parents who helped shape me. And then I went to um, Calvin College and seminary. So yeah, I'm in some ways, my history is about as Christian reformed as you can get. I was born into such a family and that's how I was educated through uh, my seminary years. Oh, very cool. Yeah. It shows that it all, um, I like the testimony of uh, it all starts with the family, right? And that's where it really should. Um, I, I like, like how you said, I wasn't really formed by the Christian reformed church, but by Christian reformed parents. And that's really the way it should be when, when kids get to church, it should be more a reinforcing of what's already going on in the home for sure. Yeah. Well, I, you know, just a little footnote to that when, when I worked on my PhD and did my doctoral studies, you know, part of that was done on sociology of religion in Europe um, and the decline of Christian belief and practice in Europe. And uh, there's a lot of different factors. I won't go into them right now, but uh, one thing was that people thought that you could be a good Christian without church. And mm -hmm. so, and then they would still hold on to some, at least nominally Christian beliefs, but within a generation or two, those who thought that way no longer believed that way because belief isn't just something that you store away. It's something that needs to be nourished by fellowship, yes. by the preaching of the word and the means of grace. And another thing that really slid was, um, personal devotions and family devotions in the home. It used to be very, very frequently practiced in Europe and in Britain. And when that slid, uh, that was no longer nourishing faith. And, and of course, it's not just nourishing intellectual belief, it's nourishing a personal interaction and walk with God and God's presence in your life. But treating it treating Christianity as just an idea to file away in your mental filing cabinet, which will stay there forever, is absolutely uh, untrue. Uh, belief is a living belief that is connected with God, but also connected with God's people and with um, the, the way it's nurtured in your home. And so the sociology of belief, if you will, the, the sociology of belief says it matters a bunch. And you do studies, you find out if parents didn't care very much um, if their kids uh, went to church or not and believed what they believed or not, you can pretty well, it was no mystery how their kids turned out when it came to matters of faith. Uh, when the parents became lukewarm, the kids became nothing. Yeah, amen. Yeah, Dave, I, I love your story. I love your very high view of the Christian family. And what I think we would all agree is a very strong and elevated view of of the covenant uh, that God extends to believers and their children. So that's that's a wonderful testimony. Um, I'm wondering about your call to ministry. Uh, you said that you you went to Calvin College and Seminary. I'm kind of wondering how you knew God was shaping you to be a pastor and a church leader, and also how he called you into bivocational ministry, too. Okay, well, thanks, Willie. The, um, 
I originally, uh, when even when I was kind of young, thought you know that I might want to go into ministry. Uh, in fact, maybe a lot of kids could tell this story, but I used to preach to my sister and her dolls and serve them bread and Kool-Aid. I hope that doesn't get me in trouble, you know, <laughs> with all the major authorities, but I would, I would preach to my sister and her dolls and serve them bread and Kool-Aid. And, and believe it or not, um, my predecessor at Back to God Hour, Joel Naderhood, used to have his sermons printed in something called the radio pulpit in little pamphlets. And some of those mm. would be in our church. So I would take those and then I would take a chair at home, set another one upside down on that chair, and I'd have four microphones instead of one, the four legs of the chairs. And then I would read <laughs> that little booklet of Joel Naderhood, never dreaming that years later I'd actually be doing the same radio program that he did yeah. and wow. have my sermons in the radio pulpit. But anyway, th those were a few little things that I did when I was a, a little kid. Uh, when I was nine, I had a lot of questions, maybe of the kind that, that some church kids typically have a little bit later, but I had questions about, you know, whether Christianity is true and uh, how I could be a Christian, and so I talked with my mom about that, and uh, we, we spoke together, and she really encouraged me to um, just personally trust in the Lord and ask um, Christ to be my Savior, to live in my heart, um, and then, um, you know, when I prayed for the Lord to do that. And the, uh, the next night I had just a tremendous sense of peace and, you know, and had a dream of heaven. You know, it's not Revelation 23. I'm not trying to add to scripture, but, but the Lord, I think, was giving a nine-year-old boy a very strong sense of assurance and of the importance mm -hmm. of, of eternal things. I don't think he was adding to the human race's knowledge of heavenly things, you know, mm -hmm. by giving me that dream. But nonetheless, it was important to me and helped shape me. And then, you know, I, I made profession of faith, and uh, but when I went to Calvin College, I was not a pre-sem major. I was a math major because I was <laughs> not sure that I was called into ministry. You know, I, I had done those. I gave you a little story of what I used to do, but that didn't make uh, a kid game doesn't mean that God has called you to be a preacher of the word. Amen. And so um, I knew I knew that I was good at math. And so I was majoring in math and my worst grade, you know, in my first two years of college was in speech. So anyway, um, I, I and another sophomore and a freshman, we were entered in the lower Michigan math competition of the various schools and universities in Michigan. And we won the math competition. And about two weeks after that, I told my math professor that I believed the Lord was calling me into the ministry. Um, he believed that I had my signals crossed. <laughs> he said, why would God make you so good at math and not so good at speech and be calling you into the ministry? And I said, well, it's very hard. It's just a very hard thing to explain. But I had just this enormous sense of, of pull and of leading from the Holy Spirit, I believed, that, that I just couldn't resist. And I figured, well, if he wants me to preach, he's going to have to make me better at it. <laughs> you know, that was Amen. my reasoning. I don't know if you know, mm -hmm. I know that's a, that's a 19 year old kid's reasoning, you know, at the time I was 19, when I really knew for sure that the Lord wanted me in ministry. And uh, I I told my math prof, well, that just means I can think logically, it doesn't mean that I need to be a mathematician for the rest of my life, you know, that obviously, mm -hmm. there's many godly people who can go into those fields, but I'm sure God wants me to be a minister. And I, to be honest, I never since then have ever wondered whether I shouldn't be. I always 
had a very strong sense of God's calling. And that has sometimes served me well. Uh, maybe you guys know that too, because mm -hmm. if you're going by how things are going for the last five minutes or how you happen to feel about your latest sermon or your latest interaction with somebody, you might've dropped out of ministry a thousand times. But when you know that you're doing what God wants you to do, then you you keep on going and you even rejoice in it. So yeah, that, yeah, that's been my experience is that I had a very strong sense of calling in life. Uh, you know, at, at 19, I, I knew, and I've been um, very convinced since then that God wants me to be a preacher of the gospel. Amen. Yeah, that's uh, funny because very similar to my story too. My, my worst grades, my first year of, uh, of college were uh, speech and Bible. <laughs> and then a few years later, God <laughs> called me into ministry. So, um, and, and yeah, I had one of those, uh, a call to ministry that I couldn't question. It was, it was just forced upon me. I never really planned on being into ministry, but, but when God, and, and again, I can't explain it, but I remember the feeling of this is what I need to do and I can't do anything else. And I've told, uh, I've told other past, it's really the only reason I'm still in ministry. Um, I've had moments, right. Where I, I remember I tell this story every once in a while, I came home after a really bad congregational meeting, um, a number of years ago and said, I quit to my wife. And she looked at me and she said, you don't really have that option. Do you, <laughs> if God called you to this, um, you don't get to quit. And, uh, and I thought that's a good word. I, I don't have the option to quit. God told me this is what I'm doing, whether I like it or not. So let's keep going. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's held me in ministry for a long time. That's, it's a, it's a powerful thing. Yeah. And it is a wonder. I mean, it's a wonderful thing too. Maybe you can testify to that as well, Willie, but the, um, you know, overall, it's not that ministry is this horrible, miserable experience that I just had a call once upon a time that just keeps me going, you know, overall, the overall, um, it's maybe closer to this. I get to do what I always wanted to do and I get paid to do it. You know, the, Amen. Uh, you know, I'm not doing it for the money, but, but I'm doing something, you know, not everybody is blessed quite to that degree where the thing that they make their, they can actually have a living doing the thing they love to do. Uh, you know, some people, you just got to do what you got to do in terms Amen. of earning your, um, your living and to, to be a, a, a minister of the word, and in a sense, I'm bivocational, but in another sense, not. You know, I work as a pastor and also as a teacher of theology, so those overlap a lot. When I'm working on sermons, you know, don't get on me if you find something that I said in the sermon making its way into something that gets said at Christian leaders, because, you know, a lot of what I do, I have both of those hats handy, and Amen. sometimes when I'm working, I, a, if I need a course on the general epistles at Christian leaders, I might be preaching a series on the general epistles <laughs> in family. Amen. Yeah. That's what that's called wise time use of time. Right. I told my youth group that, um, yeah. as well too, I was, I was, uh, leading our youth ministry at the same time I was going to seminary full time. And, uh, when I was taking a course on first and second Thessalonians, um, guess what we were preaching on in youth group, first and second Thessalonians. I thought, man, I'm already diving in deep studying this book. Why shouldn't, and for one, it's helps me use my time better, but it's also, I'm diving in deep studying this with Dr. Wyma, who's, you know, an expert in these books. Now my teenagers can benefit from all of this too. I can feed the, feed the sheep with, uh, with what I'm learning right now. So it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. good. Actually, I just, uh, uh, this last weekend, I did a wedding on Saturday, 
and uh, preached, you know, preached at the wedding. And then I preached on Sunday and somebody came to me today and they said, I heard some similarities between those. I said, well, yeah, I wrote one right after the other and your brain's <laughs> kind of in a space and, and yeah, uh, yeah. it kind of helps you think through, but um, yeah, yeah, God does things that way too. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Jeff Wyman. He was a classmate of mine and Jeff also helped teach a couple of the courses at Christian leaders. Uh, my, the course um, that we have on hermeneutics has some stuff that Jeff did, video lectures and so on. And our New Testament survey has some lectures that Jeff did for us as well. So just oh, a quick great. footnote. Amen. Yeah, Waima was my favorite professor. I, I, I got to go to Turkey and Greece with him as well. And that was a really good trip. Too. Oh, yeah. Well, I've never listened to him teach. You know, I was in classes with him. Did he ever slow down? Jeff no, could talk faster than anybody I he, ever knew, I think. <laughs> so his, you had to listen closely. Yep. Amen. Yeah, you were writing really fast. He always started off every class that he was teaching and told us that his nickname as a as a uh, teenager was Motor Mouth. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so he just goes, guy. goes, goes. Yeah. yeah Amen. Guy. Well, I want to shift gears here a little, Dave, as, as someone who's kind of grown up in the Christian Reformed Church and and growing up in a Christian Reformed family, what do you think some of the strengths are of the Christian Reformed Church? Well, historically, I think that some of those strengths, uh, you know, of family, of of shaping children in your own household was, you know, I, I'm not in a very good position to say, hey, now I have a full bird's eye view of the whole denomination to see how we're still doing. Sometimes I, you know, wonder whether parents don't do that um, as much, but I, I don't know. But I think that was a historic strength. And mm -hmm. connected with that was, a um, you know, an emphasis on Christian education. Uh, sometimes it could get overblown where, you know, there was almost a sociological sense that if you didn't send your kid to a Christian school, there was something seriously wrong with you. And it might be a little too quick to judge and, and not very welcoming to somebody who didn't have that perspective if they were coming in and joining the church, you know, but having said all that, uh, you know, sometimes every, you know, each strength can have its corresponding weakness if you're not careful about it, but, but it was a strength to value the life of the mind, to see that um, education is really more the calling of the parents than of the government. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that, that was an important principle that that the Christian Reformed Church historically held to, that a lot of parents in the communities did when they banded together. Uh, the, uh, one of the challenges, to get back to one of the weaknesses, um, I know that uh, in, the, in the 70s, to take one example, I believe it was um, one of the schools here in the Chicago area was trying to keep out Black students, one of the Christian mm. schools, which is not the ultimate in Christian um, handling of things. No. And I know my predecessor, Joel Naderhood, said that he marched with some of the teachers that wanted to that wanted to make sure that all students, whatever background, were welcome at the school. And he said there were several churches in the area that did not invite him to preach for 10 years after that. So Whoa. you know that, that's some of that's some of the awkwardness, um, you yeah. know, that we're still, um, you know, that that's some of the the downside because you could get a it, it could in the name of being devoted to the Christian training of children, it could be, let's keep us Dutch folks together and keep all those polluting influences out. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with David Fettis. Until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. 
And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Thank you.